Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 62, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement to give you both angles of discussion. Today, DB is back and we're going to talk about the Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup 2021 just got back from Arizona. But first, let's talk sponsors. Excess Sites title sponsor of the podcast. Check them out at excesssites.com. Elite Survival Systems products for your EDC needs since 1979. Don't just survive, thrive at Elite Survival com check out their guardian stealth sbr packs backpacks cool right ccw safe legal service membership for concealed carriers and leos the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team get 10 percent off your membership by entering code off duty 10 at checkout and of course edc belt company lots of foundation belt wearers out there at the uh pat rogers memorial revolver roundup at the uh mecca of all handgun training gunsight academy i uh, got to meet several loyal listeners and i appreciate you guys everyone uh even the uh worst er doc in history <laughs> all right guys and gals let's bring in our guest db welcome back and freshly from the pat rogers memorial revolver roundup 2021 at gunsight daryl's back and uh, I'm sure half of the listeners that I have uh, came up to me at uh, and approached me there that guys I'd never met from all over the country that had heard some of the episodes we'd done and uh, some of the other ones. And uh, they expressed that they enjoyed hearing hearing us uh, banter about nuggets of lost wisdom, which we try, <laughs> which which I got to say was the entire weekend. It was like, right. yeah, um, but either way, great. Con- I, I hate to call it a conference because it wasn't a, conference. you know, it's a, uh, it's a learning seminar environment. You know, our whole, uh, deal with that is always to been sort of make it fun. And what was truly unique about this for going to gun site with it, it, you know, it was a lot for us to give this up. Uh, to go to move it to gun site. I mean, this is mine and Wayne's favorite thing to do all year is that. And I mean, even during COVID, the only class we did the entire, you know, first year of COVID was the revolver roundup. Everything else got canceled. And, you know, it was very, very hard for us to give this up, but gun site allowed us to expose a lot more people in a very historical place to all of our kind of hearts. And it was unique in that one of the things that makes Gunsight such an amazing place is the way classes and the instructors at Gunsight are structured is phenomenal. I mean, absolute stone cold professionals, the vetting process of the instructors, the, the points of instruction, how, how instruction is delivered to the students. Everything is very, very uh, disciplined, well-structured, and it's an outstanding place for people to go to learn. 
And what we did with this is actually sort of not the normal gun site. It's sort of like, hey, go to any class you feel like. If you don't like it, leave and go to another one. Uh, you know, if you want to shoot live ammo, great. If you want to shoot dummy rounds, that's fine too. You want to shoot a 22, you know, knock yourself out. And it kind of was a self guided adventure in letting the attendees kind of get out of it exactly what they wanted from it and at a pace they wanted to work and with the classes and things they wanted out of it themselves, which again is not sort of normal, but the gun site guys were saying, God, this is like the gas match, you know, the uh, gun site alumni shoot, you know, or boy, it's just fun, you know? So it is, it kind of added a dimension to it that was unique and that you were in this kind of historical place uh, with all this normally very structured stuff. And uh, you know, and then you got to do kind of make it what you wanted out of it. So uh, we were, we were quite happy uh, overall. Yeah. And, and I think I, I, and we had no massive failures over the weekend. We had stuff we need to fix uh, just from being new, but we didn't have any, any absolute catastrophes, which was great. Yeah. For taking, taking Texas all the way to Arizona and uh, putting that together. I, I mean, I've been involved with like the guardian conference and some other things. And the logistical aspect of that is quite the undertaking. So bold move and it paid off. I mean, (laughs) well, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was there a week ahead of time and it was all going quite smoothly till about Wednesday. And then Thursday, all the, uh, it was one, what putting out one fire after another, the, the last minute, you know, uh, crazy stuff that goes on with these things of, you know, whether it's, you know, people who have tragedies or illness or stuff occur in their lives and have to cancel that we're making arrangements for, uh, you know, getting people into town during kind of a problem time with airlines and rental cars. And, you know, there's a lot of different aspects and even just kind of figuring out, uh, ranges and classes and stuff. Cause it was new to all the instructors and it was new to gun site. So trying to meld all that with, you know, gee, we think this is going to work um, and making it work. We're, we're two different things. And I think it all worked out really good. We had some huge successes and some stuff, uh, like I said, and most of the stuff we need to fix is simple little logistic stuff. Uh, next year we'll have people uh, sign up for classes. So we don't have like 27 and one and, you know, eight and the other and, stuff like that that you know we'll have it a little better structured but again part of that was the ranges were new to the instructors the uh instructors uh were kind of new to delivering this in this kind of environment and you know part of it too is uh all of our instructors work their tails off during this thing um i barely got down to the ranges i was kind of so busy with a lot of the uh, firefighting going on uh, that I didn't get much time and see normally revolver. The beauty of revolver roundup in the past was if you weren't teaching, you were a student in all the classes where this year uh, there wasn't as much opportunity for that, for the uh, instructors. They really worked their tails off. I, t- I told Wayne, I, I stopped into Wayne's fundamentals class there and uh, got reacquainted with my old cheat gun, which is the, the 10 dash eight. It's a laser beam. Yeah. With anything lead, it's laser. And uh, I was talking to Wayne, and I said, man, you're pitching a block like every two hours here. And he goes, yeah, I don't mind. And I'm like, dude, I'm tired. And I'm like, you know, 
I'm 42 and I'm pretty worn out from, uh, you know, the drive every morning and all that, but man, he was, man, he soldiered that thing, him and Fricky together (laughs) on the fundamentals class. So, uh, I wanted to throw a shout out to those guys. Oh no, they worked their tails off. And that was funny. Cause I was laughing cause, uh, day three, when he got to run those, uh, LAPD qual classes, uh, I, my under, I didn't get down there, but my understanding I was teaching another class was, uh, yeah. Wayne, Wayne was, Wayne was back to Academy Wayne. Uh, I, I, I run into people every so often who had Wayne in the, in the police Academy. And, the, and it is kind of funny cause everybody seemed to have been, uh, running to roads to somewhere, running somewhere to go uh, uh, find rocks for for Mister Dobbs, and <laughs> you know they would they would run back with this rock after some sort of epic screw up on the range, uh, to which the reply was usually that wasn't the rock I wanted. Go get me another one, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know it's it's funny with all of these guys with some of their backgrounds. You know we know them. Uh, kind of in these later years, but, uh, you know, some of that comes creeping back in and we, we had some serious heavyweights there as instructors. And I think we just talked about like Dave Dolan, nobody's ever heard of, uh, kind of outside the LA world and what he does, does and did there. And, um, I had more people come up to me, like, where did you find him? Yeah, Dave's been one of my best friends for years. You know, he's one of my dearest friends. We talk all the time. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that all these people who are actually out doing real work, uh, or behind fences and don't have social media presence or don't have, uh, you know, followers, but they are, you know, bank vaults of amazing levels of knowledge and wisdom. That was very, they were busy earning wisdom, uh, rather than, than, than calling followers. So, um, you know, Dave's one of those dudes and we were blessed to have him and, and kind of in his first big foray out, you know, teaching to, to, uh, normies, yeah. you know, just regular folk. This was, you know, this was a real blessing to get somebody like that with that level of experience out there. Well, one of the, uh, one of the big takeaways for me, and, and it made me do a lot of reflection, especially after Dave's class and, uh, and yours with running a snubby from pocket carry and things like that was, you know, when I hired into law enforcement, we, I was 11 years out of the last issued revolvers, right? So right. you figure your old heads in patrol grew up on a Model 65, a Model 66, and a uh, okay. and a backup gun, you know? Yeah. And they were all about, where's your backup gun? What are you carrying? And fast forward three, four, five years where, you know, you're starting to get your older dudes grew up on the Glock 17 Glock 22s. They kind of lost track of that. And I was, I was immersed into, you know, ankle gun. I had a renegade back when everybody, what is that? You know, uh, until it finally fell apart, but, and then shooting PPC, it was like this whole weekend was just like, Oh man. Yeah. I remember that. I remember how to do that. Um, and I also, you know, I, I did what everybody else did as, as assignments waned and guns got better and things like that. I kind of, you know, shelved the J frames and the, the K frames and all that. And this was like dusted off and realized that these are still one, they're very viable guns and two, the benefits of a wheel gun just cannot be ignored. 
for no. And you know, where it came back for me, um, you know, kind of on a similar journey is, you know, my last, uh, days in patrol at the police department, you know, I was carrying a Glock 17, uh, as a duty holster and I had a G 26 on my ankle and, you know, magazine capacity compatibility right. and the goals were different, but you know, I'll tell you where I really went back to the J frame. And I, I mean, it isn't like I haven't always had them and used them for deep cover guns, but where I really went back to them as soon as I retired is working, you know, uh, close executive protection, high level threat protection, private investigation stuff, security, things like that. And just right. kind of operating in life. Plus, uh, immediately before retiring kind of during that process, I was horribly, horribly injured as well. And again, those lightweight, uh, J frames and small airweight type guns were, you know, face it, they're easy to carry. Yeah. And you know, you, you don't have to make, uh, you know, especially when you're horribly injured, uh, having a gun that kind of tells you, uh, bro is not, this is not the thing to go take and get in a fight with is sort of that reality check with, um, this is to keep, uh, lions from eating you while you're an injured baby gazelle. And, uh, <laughs> you know, let, keep it at that. And then, you know, you kind of circle back, uh, you know, Caleb Giddings did a great thing uh, a while back on the U curve of the J frame and, or the snubby revolver and where they're really good for people who don't have a lot of uh, firearms knowledge and background with, because they're easy administratively to uh, work with without making, you know, horribly uh, tragic, you know, having horribly tragic accidents with them or mistakes. Cause they're the, um, manual of operations is so simple. They're also fairly easy for people not experienced in concealed carry to actually carry. Uh, as they get better at that, they get more experience, more training. You kind of, uh, you, you start getting into the semi-autos and, and then sort certainly these, these little tiny uh, nine millimeters they have out now, which by the way, you know, you gotta, you, they, they, require work to shoot well i mean you got to kind of death grip these things and there's some 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 work to getting those guns to run great and then as you get kind of a, a higher level of expertise and it comes back to sort of the experts gun that once you develop sort of a, a subconscious high level of expertise you know there's so many places to run a j-frame whether it's a backup, secondary, deep cover, deep concealment, uh, concealing guns in places, you know, where no, you're the only one with a gun because nobody else is really pulling, concealing it off. Um, certain aspects of carry, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate now for pocket carry because for me, basically operating as an old man, retired cop civilian, uh, you know, as I get to do what I like to call covered low ready. I got a, I got a, I got a firearm gripped in my pocket. I don't look like I'm carrying a gun and I am truly at a, at a, uh, very consistent, you know, uh, I'll generally hit a nine tenths is my slow draw from the holster to a single headshot. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I've demoed it in class, cold it down in the point, uh, low point seven. So, you know, again, this is cold coming in a range, not practicing, not doing anything, grabbing the gun and just bam, here you go. And, you know, without all the prep and, and stuff. So to me, that's quite viable because it's really the only gun I can do that with. Yeah. And, and I've also on top of the range work is it's also worked exceptionally well uh in the field on the street as a crime victim and so again you balance that and then you look at like we did a whole class on ankle carry with chuck haggard if you're seated all the time in a car or an office or a desk or something ankle carry is great ankle carry is phenomenal the only reason i don't use it a ton is because you know i wear shorts most of the time right but in long pants and you and I are kind of of the same thing. Uh, back when I owned my own police equipment store, I was, uh, the only, we only sold two ankle rigs. It was the renegade. I was a dealer for them. And, uh, the, uh, uh, Eagle upside down one. Cause I had to use those cause my calves were so big. Mm-hmm. I couldn't draw from a conventional ankle holster. Finally with enough injuries, uh, lower leg injuries and stuff, my calves is shrunk enough. I can actually use that wilderness one, which I love. Um, we're having really good luck with the uh, wilderness tactical kind of redoing the renegade would, would, probably better materials yeah much better phenomenal holster phenomenal daily use holster and again if you're in a car all the time or seated at a desk uh in an office and stuff they work exceptionally well so i was i was telling sam uh from wilderness i had a chat with her on the phone uh right as i was driving making the 16 hour drive back from uh from gunsight and uh I said, you know, the Renegade, I carried it until I kicked a J-frame past a suspect one night in right, a foot chase. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that was the problem with a lot of that stuff is, you know, I, I was the only you know place you could get one of those things. I was a dealer for them and had it where you could walk in there on the wall. Um, they were kind of hard to get, you know, get or you had to. And then what happens is, you know, we tend to get lazy and not replace stuff like that, like every five years, which might be reasonable, you know, that you're, 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 you're wearing on all nylon and elastic rig for five years. It might be time, you know? Uh, so the, uh, you know, sorry about the noise. Again. Oh no. I love you, the new pup. You, so. you, you, you had, you had 16 hours. That was easy. I drove, uh, 12 hours to Colorado Springs to get the puppy. And then another 13 home home with a, uh, a nine week old, uh, lab, uh, that was, didn't mind talking. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a little louder than the last one. This one's a little more vocal on so, her needs. So this one's louder than Kegel on a road trip is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, no, Kegel <laughs> is pretty much nonstop on the road trip, but it's fun. So the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but those renegades were great, great holsters and everybody, every stone cold pro I knew used a renegade. And so obviously with wilderness doing those now out of better materials, it's a no brainer. Um, we're going to be doing a lot with wilderness in the future uh, that we had, you know, if nothing else, having them up there allowed some personal FaceTime uh, with them to really, really work with them on, uh, on stuff. So that was another another biggie and yeah i got some got a lot of new product developed as well so yeah my my thing with uh you know i mean they're out of arizona and when i had seen 
months ago when they were like, Hey, the renegades back. I was like, man, that was a great holster, but I got literally about two years out of it. The original, uh, mm-hmm. just because the elastic wore out. And then, uh, I went kicking one past a, a bad guy. And, uh, now fortunately you know, the bad guy thought like there was some sinister intent there. So he, right. he looked down and went, Oh no. I, and started like <laughs> plugging his ears, like something bad was going on, but right. But when I saw that and I, I looked at the construction and I talked to Sam and I was like, man, you have something magic going on on the way that gun retains because it doesn't come out unless you in it's on purpose. No, um, they, they've done it. The, the materials are excellent. You know, the problem with the, with, we always saw running those as, uh, you know, you had kind of two, two hardcore users of it. Often you had, you know, the guys who are running them off duty or the dope cops or undercover guys. Um, but then you had, you know, the ones running them in patrol and you're, you're basically pulling that thing around a duty boot, you know, with yeah. the big eyelets and mm-hmm. sharp stuff and whatever. And then, you know, cause cops are cheap and we're not buying two. Uh, then you just unbolt the thing from there and throw it on off duty under some, some, you know, regular pants or, you know, for court or something. So, you know, you, you we, we were pretty hard on it. Yeah. And again, the, you know, that's where these materials really come in. Um, well, uh, of I know a the, guy, the, the superior materials. So, yeah, I know a guy that owns a belt company and, uh, knows so a little bit about materials. Yeah. yeah. And when thing. I, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's not night. That's not 2002, 2003. That's, uh, you know, or that's earlier pretty, pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty substantial stuff. And, uh, you know, not to dive off into trade secrets or anything, but I can tell you that, uh, for the, <laughs> the materials they're using, uh, the cost for those materials is, is substantial and, uh, they're, they're doing yeah, good work. You, well, and you know, the other thing, anytime we can support a company or made in the USA, us employees doing good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a win all day long. And if it costs you a little more money than some, you know, out of China knockoff, you know, uh, great. I, I'm, I'm happy to spend it and push it. Yeah. So not to mention Sam is just an, an exceptional Sam's person. A, she, she's awesome. She's awesome. Everybody down there. Um, I've known a couple of the people who worked out at, uh, at wilderness for years and they're, they're really just stellar people all the way around, uh, going back generations. So, yeah. uh, that's, that's a really good new relationship for us. Uh, it was good for me. Uh, we had Rob Leahy there from simply rugged leather. And, you know, one of the things I did, I think it was Wednesday. Uh, I went up to, to visit Rob at his shop cause I was there. Um, and, uh, we were talking and I was showing Rob, you know, my ankle or my pocket holster and how I run it, you know? And I said, God, yeah, I've been trying to get somebody for years to do this with set up the way I like, which is to put a beat their ID or a uh, giveaway pack of money or something in one, one end in a speed strip and the other. And then you have one, you know, thing. It's a package and, you know, deal. Yeah. It's a package deal. And, you know, in the past I've used like Micah holsters with uh, elastic hair bands to hold everything. Same, same together, here, you know, and, uh, you know, showed that to a lot of people over the years. And, uh, Rob said, Oh, I can make that for you. That sounds like a great idea. Perfect. So knocked him out. And the first proto he did for me at Cape Buffalo hide, which I mean, doesn't get any better than, well, I thought it was pretty high speed until he showed up with the shark ones. And then I went, you know, <laughs> 
uh, and uh, so um, his his pocket holsters. Um, I know are real popular, particularly in places that are hot. And one of the big things that I've always liked about his pocket holsters is he'll make them for some bigger guns. A lot of guys will run them in the back pockets or chore coats and stuff, but they got a little slot in the back for two rounds, which is where you keep your snake shot. Or if you put the snake shot in the gun, it gives you a place to put the two rounds and then you can sort of replace them back and forth. If you don't want to use it for conventional rounds there, they're, they're uh, pretty popular for that. Um, I've got a, so I've got a, a speed strip stuck in mine, just that, you know, a, a seven shot right. speed strip loaded with five rounds and the tab end of it jammed down in there. And yeah, and, Rob told me the story of why he calls it the million dollar reload too. That was pretty fascinating. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. So yeah, it's uh, so yeah, there's uh, I, well, that's on his other, his original design has the two rounds mm-hmm. and then I had him add the, the wrap to it. So you could put your ID, whatever you want, the one side and that speed strip on the other, uh, which is how I like to run them for more of an urban rig, but his traditional ones he's, he's sold for a while. I uh, have a little place for two rounds in there. I like, yeah. uh, you know, for snake shots, the Arizona special. Yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time out in Arizona, so that's a good rig to throw in a pocket with, uh, you know, J frame and load it up with some, uh, you know, your snub with some snake shot in there. Well, I got to tell you, uh, ever since your, you know, who, what, where, and why class on, you know, revolvers, revolver options, yeah. I, uh, I kept my hotel room keys. <laughs> Right. That See, makes- exactly. That's yeah. No, you, 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 you have the, uh, you know, the instructor cheat codes on that. Exactly. On now, so. And I won't give so that one away. The, yeah. That's a good one. So yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we did some good work with that. Um, you know, surefire, uh, had some, you know, was giving away some stilettos there and some other lights. Uh, all the instructors were, uh, running stilettos, which is a, kind of the perfect companion light to a snub. Um, I consider it an exceptional utility, right? Light that does some tactical stuff mm-hmm. and with snub carry in the urban environment, that's kind of what you want is, um, I find it to be in an incredibly useful light. So we did that. Um, Greg Elifritz taught a low light class as well as, so Elifritz is pretty awesome. So Greg came in, taught, uh, his entangled stuff on day one taught one-handed shooting on day two, uh, two sessions of each. And then on day three, did a low light presentation, uh, using the, the surefire stuff. So that was great. Um, and yeah, the way we had the whole thing structured worked out really well. Um, like I said, it was just a matter of kind of coordinating the logistics and moving a lot more people than we've been used to to a lot more spread out places. Um, the other huge benefit we got to do there that I have gotten exceptionally good, uh, reports back on was, uh, having Lou guys now, who's the new training director at Gunsight, doing, uh, running the fun house. So what we did is we, uh, Colt donated some guns. We, uh, raffled some off, uh, sold some other ones. It raised money for the Cooper legacy foundation. And what we did is we had, uh, the students use those guns, uh, with dummy rounds in them and a, a reload full of dummies, uh, inside the, the fun house by using the revolvers with dummy rounds in there. It allowed us to get the students, the experience of going through 
a shoot house with an exceptionally uh, qualified instructor who, uh, you know, when you're the, the training director at, at Gunsight, you, you've checked a lot of boxes. And, and Lewis is a true legend, uh, at least in SoCal and the instructional world. Lou is quite the legend. Uh, uh, he beat me quite a bit back in the day, the roaring days of uh, three, the early days of three guns. Soldier uh, of fortune. Lou, <laughs> yeah. Lou was, Lou, Lou was quite good at that. Um, so having, having him run that fun house, let students have an extremely safe experience in a shoot house. Uh, it wasn't one of these thrown together dangerous, stupid things I see all the time in this industry. Um, I, I, I have all this gray in my beard comes from having houses full of women and running actual live fire shoot houses with SWAT dudes. It is the, it is the most difficult, uh, scary, frightening thing I've ever done as an instructor. And I put a boatload of time into trying to run those things safe. And Pat Rogers and I used to talk constantly about how hard it is to run a shoot house safely and competently. This allowed us to have Lou there running that shoot house by running everybody dry. Not only did we take a lot of the dangerous out of it by using guns that we actually issued the people we could visually see they're getting our gun which allowed us for better control and the safety factor. But by using the dummy rounds, we got to do something that most people never get to do, which was after you went through the shoot house, you got to go up onto the catwalks and watch other students go through. And the true learning in a shoot house is up on the catwalk. That is where you really see what the geometry looks like, the application of movement, of tactics and how to address these problems is it's a wonderful thing for people. And most of the people there had never got to shoot in a shoot house and certainly have never been on a catwalk watching it from that aspect with a professional instructor running students through and having that bird's eye view of what's going on. So that was, uh, that was truly an amazing, uh, thing for a lot of people. And I had a lot of the students comment to me later that like they had no idea how beneficial that was until they got to do that. So yeah, that was another solid aspect to it. Um, I had an interesting Caleb, deal there. Uh, it, three things are on the shoot houses. Uh, one, two guys got some Colt. Uh, they were Cobras, I believe. Yeah. The new King Cobras. Yeah. King Cobras that had, 2000 plus dry presses. So they had really nice actions by the time I got <laughs> yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I got one of those two that were, uh, building. Um, so I sat down with Dave think over at, uh, the gunsmithy, the gunsmithy the, the gun site. And they said, Hey, let's put together a revolver roundup package. Uh, of things that I consider sort of critical for a uh, useful uh, combatives revolver. So, you know, Bob Hammer, DA conversion, service level action job, not stupid, just right. like a good old school police action job where it goes bang every time. Uh, round the trigger, chamfer the cylinders, accuracy work if needed. The older guns, a lot of times, will mm-hmm. need muzzle crowning just because. 
you know, wear and dropping and everything else. Those new Cobras are don't, um, and, and kind of this package. And then we're, we're getting them gun site logoed. And the idea is you'll be able to send your gun to Fanks, uh, whether it's a, you know, three inch K frame, two and a half inch, you know, 66, uh, you know, some old beater model 10, you got that they want this work or something like the brand new, uh, three inch King Cobra that I'm going to be using and they'll build this package for you and you could send it in ahead of time, be either ready for you at revolver roundup, or they can build the package set up, ready to go. So when the students show up, they got a quite capable, uh, firearm to run through with all the kind of right stuff done to it. Yeah. Um, the other, the other, so I'm excited to get that Cobra and, and, uh, that's going to be my kind of, it What's funny is, so, uh, Rob Leahy made me a, um, elephant pocket holster for it. You know, it's a three inch, so it'll be like kind of a back pocket or a, uh, uh, short coat thing. Yeah. And, you know, I already ordered the custom wood grips and stuff. It'll look spectacular. So I'll keep the rubber hogs on it for shooting. And then if I have to go fancy, start breaking out some chocolate chip elephant. And, <laughs> <you know. laughs> well, I- but those Cobras were, were great. They've, uh, Colt fixed some of the problems. I had some real heartache with those, and I was very, very impressed with the guns. So, yeah, we did the uh, the shoot house. I jumped in there, and uh, it, it was interesting coming from uh, you know the the background of I've had to search buildings thousands upon thousands of times, and doing it with a revolver. And even though we're doing dummy rounds, having to count one, two, three. Okay, do I? speed strip three rounds before I punch into the next room and, and on and on. And the third thing I'll add is I'm going to throw a little piece to Lou Gosnell. I was the only person that got him to laugh the entire weekend. And it was at the instructor dinner on uh, Monday night. So you're welcome. Good Lou. For you. You're welcome. Yeah, good Lou. for you. Cause uh, uh, yeah, most people uh, lose very serious. <laughs> I think, I, I think Lou's laughing on the inside. You just can't tell. I, it was uh it was interesting we we got to spend a little time he had skyler there one of the new gunsight instructors running people and uh he and i were starting to talk about the gauge and uh you know the super 90s everybody gets excited yeah and and he i could see him kind of get excited and then at the instructor dinner he smiled before he laughed i went oh my god the guy actually smiles what's that's weird yeah. and yeah, uh he's a, he, he he is a great uh dude and was an absolute asset to this you know sort of another surprise um most people are are absolutely shocked that caleb giddings and i are friends um just because we're kind of so different from different eras and he is very much the uh go fast the thorn of the thorn of the internet and it's all about going fast and i'm sort of the curmudgeon of the world and you know caleb and i talk very regularly it's funny because he's he's doing stuff that we did back in the day, uh, just much faster and more competently at it than we were, uh, which is, you know, a lot of that's it's both equipment and a better understanding of some of the physiology involved. Uh, but he, he Lord knows he puts the work in, uh, hats off to him. Unlike a lot of the guys in his position who were exceptionally capable shooters, uh, you know, he ran out and joined the air force. He's a you know, combat arms instructor and, you know, he's out teaching daily, uh, to regular, you know, a regular military folks, which, you know, is a lot like training cops. It's hard work. 
uh, it really taxes you and it requires uh, uh, the right mindset and person to do it. So he's really checking a lot of the boxes and everything I got back was either if they knew who Caleb was, they were like, wow, he's not like he is on the internet or uh, people would just floored at how well he instructs and teaches. And I was absolutely surprised because he was sort of the uh, wild card wild card. Yeah. And, you know, that wild card panned out because he got a lot of traction in the classes. Apparently, there were a lot of people interested in in shooting competitively with revolvers. Uh, personally, that's what I do. Any any competitive shooting I've done in the last several years is I just grab my 686 SSR and I just go shoot steel matches with them. I'm usually like the only guy shooting a revolver. Uh, you know, winning the revolver class is like not, you will never see me bragging because there was <laughs> me and me and some old guy with a single action, you know, so it's not, right. um, but usually my goal is to run into the bottom of the uh, top semi-auto class. If I can get kind of into that bottom of that, uh, you know, a class or whatever group with the autos, if I can start bumping into the guys with the uh, red dot mag weld uh, wonder super whiz bang guns and i'm doing it with a six you know a six shot revolver i'm pretty feeling pretty good about myself bill bill so locker yeah i was gonna say bill Lockridge used to call him the 38 stupids so yeah if you're running yeah, against I, the 38 I, stupids yeah <laughs> i i just uh really enjoy if i go to a competition because you know you do it with a revolver you gotta count you can't miss uh you know it's funny watching some of these these guys just host stuff and it's like you know, they're fast, but they're hitting like, you know, Sometimes. they're missing a third. They're missing a third of what they're doing. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I got five targets and six shots and I got to make this happen. And, you know, stuff like all of a sudden, you know, you get a six shot revolver, the Texas star all of a sudden becomes really kind of a thing. You yeah. know, that's a real <laughs> thing. That That is really sort of a thinking shooting operation. So you know, having Caleb there to really uh, work on that competitive aspect, the speed shooting, uh, we were kind of joking around ahead of time that, you know, uh, Caleb's uh, cr- criteria was going to be, or, or his teaching point was uh, whatever Dobbs told you to do. Okay. Now just do that really fast. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's pretty much it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, all the, all the feedback I got from Caleb's stuff was excellent. Um, like I said, we had Chuck doing uh, ankle gun work. Uh, he did his ballistic shoot that is always incredibly popular for people to see what these loads actually do going through denim and gel blocks. And uh, Chuck and Mark Fricky documented a lot of it. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll put that out in a couple places uh, to get some, some feedback on it. Cause a lot of these rounds don't work in uh, snubs the way they I- work in other stuff. I had a call this morning from uh, a, a gun writer fellow that you and I both, you know, endear. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he said, really? 148 wads? And I said, yeah, man. I was telling Fricky, I, I cry now to think of the amount of good defensive ammunition I, par- I parked in a B-27 over the years and didn't think well, twice about. you know what about. was funny is, so um, I pulled executive privilege. Uh, I had a couple of very dear friends of mine fly in for uh, lunch on <laughs> Come Visit. You know, uh, you know, we grabbed the Jet Ranger and came in from Havasu to kind of see what's going on, wandered over to the uh, ballistic chute. And, uh, so, you know, I was kind of hosting, so it was like, 
okay, I'm just going to pull executive privilege. I'm walking in with my 115 grain uh, flat point, uh, 32 long Buffalo bore. Let's see how this stuff does. And you know, what's funny is, did you see, did you see that stuff? I did. I was yeah, impressed. Uh, uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, it completely turned over and yawed. It still went 12 and a half inches with a, with a 32 long. And yeah. I'm like, well, if it, if it doesn't turn over, uh, that's going all the way through. And if it turns over, I mean, okay, and 12 and a half inches, I'm pretty good with that. So, uh, not bad for a 32 long. So that worked out pretty good. And, uh, yeah, a lot of these wad cutters, uh, you know, in the little guns, you know, they cut, they just cut holes through stuff and that's kind of what you got to do. And if you can get one, the key is getting that load. If it's light recoiling and hits point of aim, point of impact, and that's the gold in this game. Well, what I, what I've started to see with handguns in general is uh, most of them don't look like the gun article, uh, you know, or the the gun mag promotional picture. And I've right. I've I've had the 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 privilege and uh, despair of of seeing you know hundreds and hundreds of gunshot wounds over the years, and. I don't care what the advertisement says. You're basically shooting ball ammo anyway. I mean, that's just yeah, the, you, that's you, just life. You know, as funny as my old agency, you know, we went to we 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 had pretty good luck with a lot of it. And you know, a lot of it was uh, without pat my breaking my arm, pat myself on the back. It's very different when you have somebody who has uh, developed a certain level of study and expertise to really look at what those gunshot wounds are doing in the wound ballistics. And, um, you know, I, I was lucky, uh, early in life to be in Gene Wahlberg's lab, uh, talking to guys like Mike Bullion up at Cal DOJ was working a lot of that stuff. Uh, Dr. Gary Roberts and I talk regularly. Uh, he did get phone. He was the only one who got phone calls post all of our shootings on how this stuff performs. So it's not just, I'm reading gun magazines about what bullets do. I'm going to autopsies right. as a subject matter expert, talking to the medical examiners who often were not as up on this stuff, you know, having good debate level talks with, uh, medical examiners doing this stuff. And I got to tell you, you know, when we, we first went to that 45 plus PHST load, yeah. And the first five shootings we had, nobody lived through it. Um, but the, the rounds were coming out of stuff looking literally like the federal ad. And that was kind yeah. of the first ones that, that actually did. looked like the, the, mm-hmm. the ad. Yeah. Um, we, we started kind of in the eh, uh, 2000-ish is all of a sudden with a lot of the protocols in place, the rounds started looking like uh, they're supposed to coming out of humans as opposed to what they were doing. And, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, uh, ballistic jug test or newspaper or whatever the hell they're using clay, you know, yeah. um, what I found though is weirdly, uh, I think if we had spent the time on developing revolver rounds that we've spent with nine millimeter 40 and 45, we'd have much better performance kind of on a funny opposite one round we had not great luck with as a semi-auto round which was winchester silver tip was ungodly 
coming out of revolvers. I mean, yes. we shot it, our 45 long Colts. We had nothing but one shot dumps with it. Um, in it's legendary in 357 mag that 145 uh, i believe it's 145 grain load uh 41 mag 44 uh, the silver tip and 44 special all of those worked fabulous but you know it was kind of pathetic and it was kind of like in the revolvers they went heavy with it and the autos they went light with it and that round kind of needs to go heavy mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um you know so this stuff's good to pay attention to. And that the, again, at revolver roundup, you get to have somebody like an expert, a true expert, not a guy who writes gun articles expert, um, with whatever the ammo companies tell them to write. Um, but Chuck Haggard does a fabulous job with that every year. And, uh, it's very educational for a lot of folks. So we did that again. Um, Monday was kind of a fun day. Cause a lot of people for travel, uh, they've been shooting for two days, pretty hard, and for a lot of people who don't do this professionally, two days on the range is, is a lot. So we made sort of Monday, like, Hey, come sit in some classroom stuff, shoot a couple police calls, do a little stuff. Uh, Elephants had kind of the only really serious class on Monday where he, he did a real low light class. Um, I did a couple of fun classroom ones. I think you were there for my, yeah. Uh, we discussed the uh, Fitz revolvers. They really have an in-depth discussion about Fitzes. Uh, we talked about Pat Rogers and John Helms revolvers, which I had there, which was, I think, enlightening to a lot of people uh, that, you know, everything you've been told about, uh, how much gun you need. It might not be the gun. It might be the gun gunman. Yeah. You know, that, the, the operator. <laughs> that was a fascinating, uh, lecture because it made me think, you know, I, I mean, it, it put my brain back about 30 years and, yeah. uh, I think right now my agency's got about, uh, there's about 20 dudes that carry revolvers, but 15 of them are like on the honor guard. So they have to qualify okay, with right. them just in case. Right. And there's right. maybe four or five dudes that still towed a revolver professionally. And it, you know, when you talked about some of the crime suppression stuff that Pat did and John Helms and all these, these legendary 20th century gunfighters, these dudes that, uh, there won't be guys like that anymore. They just, the times have changed and they, they're, you they just can't be right. So, right. And you look at, they were facing the same stuff that I was as a cop that most major city cops were that were going out and, you know, putting the screws to the felons. Right. Um, and they weren't feeling like disarmed with a six shot revolver, maybe a J frame in the pocket or two. Um, they were getting business done. And, and know, I, uh, I was like, you know, we wrap our heads around red dots and well, does this site work and this mag and this ammo and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, these dudes were taking felons down wholesale with a wheel gun. And I'm sure they probably would have liked to have had all the, the neat trickery oh, that and, we've got and, now, you know, but and, and usually the, for the, as soon as they could transition to a, uh, reliable semi-auto as a primary, they did. Um, but the reality was a lot of these guys for what they were doing, like I said, talking to Pat, when the expectation in those anti-crime units of his era was you better get a gun every night. I, I, I don't know a lot of cops right now who are getting a gun every night. 
that they are grabbing a felon who is armed on contact with a concealed firearm on their person every night. That's a lot of armed confrontations. And maybe we could learn a lot from the people who had that level of busyness. Um, you know, even, you know, your big city folks right now are, are not seeing that level. No. Now, is it coming back? It is. Yeah. Um, we may redo the seventies again and it's going to be ugly, but, and then, you know, you look at a guy like Frank Hamer, uh, you know, I did my, my Bonnie and Clyde right. guns of the Bonnie and Clyde ambush thing, uh, which I'll probably just make a regular class next year. Uh, cause everybody's bone tired when I did it afterwards <laughs> as a bonus. Um, but if you think about, um, okay. So Bonnie and Clyde in the car, had multiple BAR semi-automatic cut down shotguns, uh, you know, military grade pistols. They rated, you know, they were rating national guard armories. Uh, you know, you know, Hamer was using a single action army. Uh, so, you, you know, before we get too excited, it's all about the gear, you know, the gear helps. Um, I, I kind of came up with a term recently that, um, you know, Pat always said mission drives the gear train. And we got a lot of people out there who are getting gear to drive a mission that they think they have, and they don't. Um, and you know, Hey, if, if, if you want to carry a, uh, what we would, what, what my circles would term an offensive handgun, meaning a firearm or a pistol that we're taking to what should be a rifle fight, but we can't have a rifle, right? We just don't get to take rifles to everything like we would be nice or, or long gun that we're basically putting pistols into fights on purpose where we're hunting armed felons with pistols. We're going into other people's homes with pistols. We're taking down multiple criminals with pistols. We're doing a lot of this stuff. Those are offensive, uh, you know, proactive pistol activity. And we set guns up specifically to do that. And I see a ton of people who are carrying uh, proactive pistols as their deep undercover civilian defensive firearm. And I have to ask myself, uh, you, you may have a mission problem because you're trying to drive a gun into a mission that will probably make you do proactive stuff that doesn't need proactivity. That was always my thing with kind of concealment guns and, uh, and, uh, white light on them. I'm sure you'll get hate mail over this. I, I, my, my question was always now my bedside gun has got an X 300 on it, or I've got another one with a mod light, uh, the new mod light on it. Um, reality is, uh, I, you know, I ask people, I go, uh, so what are you looking for? You know, out there on your civilian concealed carry pistol with a red dot. I mean, like what, what exactly are you trying to find? <laughs> Cause usually I want them to go away when I'm not working with a badge and a gun and a power to take life and going out and answering other people's problem. 911 calls. My, my thing is I really don't want crooks around me and would like them to go away. And if they do go away, I really am not going to go out and I, I don't want to go look for them some more. Right. You know, the whole idea of that, and that's where, like I said, getting back to the revolvers, they are great defensive firearms, great get out of trouble guns, great guns for just simply, um, you know, trying to get yourself out of a problem because most of the crimes we're trying to address in public right now is countering aggressive robberies, violent assaults, 
which they got to touch you. And for the ladies, it's usually uh, sexually violent, physical sexual assault or robbery as well. And again, they got to touch you. They got to come into your space and they're very good at making that happen. They are very good at getting into your space. And the other reality of all that whiz bang stuff doesn't work. So a lot of those guys like John and Pat, you know, they're working out undercover, deep, deep cover, concealed, whatever, or working in plain clothes and stuff and kind of jumping on guys. And yeah. And the, the, the defensive guns actually work pretty good for that. Cause most of the stuff they're putting hands on the, the uh, crook and those guns worked in that environment. That, that was one thing that really, uh, struck a chord with me when you were talking about, uh, you know, they're trying to get into your space, you know, all the time that, that I spent chasing bad guys, which is few and far between these days, but it was all about getting into their space. And I thought, okay, do I, do I really have to have a gun light? Now I will confess that, you know, my G 45 wears a, a, uh, TLR seven with the, you know, oh, the, the lights are so good. You know, if I were, went back to work on a patrol job today, I probably would carry a light. I didn't carry one in my entire really patrol career because I was using security holsters that didn't, that wouldn't take them. They, right. I was more interested in a holster to secure, but now I ran them on, on all my long guns because it was time to go hunt felons. I grabbed a 12 gauge shotgun and wanted a light on it or a, or a carbine exactly. or some, some machine gun. But the, um, you know, so Again, when we look at these revolvers, they're very good for this defensive get off of me, get out of my space guns. They're just not great hunting bad guy guns anymore. I mean, as much grand wondrous work as I did with the Hebrew hammer, my beloved four inch 45 long Colt, it wouldn't be my first choice to hunt bad guys today with, or even back then it was heavy it's limited in ammunition capacity, all of these things. But by the same token, you know, I got, I got an 11 ounce gun in my pocket that shoots, that will shoot 38 wad cutters through humans. All I got to do is do the work on my end of the accuracy side. So to me, that's very size efficient for the, for the job. And uh, like we talked about with some of the reliability stuff is these things tend to go bang with every round of their first load. If the gun's clean quality ammunition and a quality firearm, you can pretty much be assured the first five or six are coming out of that gun. Whether you're laying upside down, bleeding in a gutter, if you're shooting inside a car with a unlocked wrist, if you're, um, if you hit something, an A-pillar or something in a vehicle, if you're shoved up against the wall or up against a trash dumpster or something, getting robbed or a person pinned in between or, or a person or pinned between your car and a gas pump and a person, all of a sudden those little, those little snub revolvers become very efficient for what they do in that niche. Uh, it's kind of like everybody tells me like 12 gauge shotguns are a niche weapon. Yeah. It's the one that most, it's most people's niche. <laughs> These guns are the same thing. It's sort of most people's niches. You're just trying to get bad guys off of you. And these guns are good, are really good for getting bad guys off of you. Well, let's, let's circle this back around to Pat Rogers, a guy that, uh, I never had an opportunity to train with. Uh, I, I bumped into him one time and I think it was either at shot show or 
you know, one of these NRA deals, something, uh, briefly. And I had no idea the gravity of what that, that, that fine guy had, uh, accomplished. And, uh, so after I got back, I spent a few hours, you know, deep diving and rabbit holing on YouTube. And, uh, I watched his memorial service actually last night on YouTube. And it was fascinating to me to see, you know, the gravity of impact that that guy had, not just in the law enforcement world or the the training circles, whatever you want to call it, but also on the tiers of the military. Oh, the the diversity level of Pat yes. was what made Pat Pat. You know, I, I remember the first uh, one of the first people to describe Pat to me as he goes, "Dude, you know that is one of the only." green side, black side, blue side killing machines out there, which means it was, you know, he was a combat Marine in Vietnam, uh, and, uh, you know, tanker and stuff like that, uh, did some work for some of the black agencies post Nam and later. Um, and then, you know, it worked, uh, some of the toughest times in our history at NYPD, um, you don't find somebody with that level of diversity. Plus, you know, uh, background at gun site, uh, teaching inside of government organizations. Uh, Pat was really kind of captain diversity at that. And, you know, kind of the end of his life, um, which I'm still probably in a horrible state of depression over. I was in a very bad state for about a year afterward. Um, Pat called me a lot because he was supposed to teach at Revolver Roundup. Uh, I believe it's five years ago now. And the, so for about six months, Pat's calling me all the time, talking about revolver, this revolver, that we're talking about bodyguards and all our favorite revolver stuff and revolver stories and all this crazy stuff. And I thought it was just Daryl and Pat talking about revolvers. Cause like, that's one of the things Daryl and Pat like to talk about. What I didn't realize is Pat probably was aware that his health issues were getting to be an issue. <laughs> Y'all yeah. never forget being on the phone with Pat and it just, the line goes dead. <laughs> it calls me back a couple hours later. Yeah. Sorry. My little heart thing went off. You know, it's, it, yeah. you know, he basically he's having a heart attack and he had a thing, you know, an implant that would shock his heart back into thing. But it was also like getting hit by lightning and knock him out. He was washing his car one day. <laughs> Yeah, DB, I could hear you on the phone. I just couldn't talk. <laughs> you know, so it's like there's some crazy stuff like that. But I but I think Pat knew there was some issues and uh some medical stuff going on with him. And you know, I came to find out he was talking to other people about 1911s and semi-automatic pistols and carbines and all the other things Pat was known for. Um with lots of different people that he was doing this knowledge dump. And I, I, I feel very blessed that I got the revolver dump. Well, and the, the sad thing is I just wish I'd been taking notes as opposed to joking around on the phone, um, that I've been taking detailed notes, but I did get a lot from Pat the, on the subject. The interesting thing about doing this podcast is I have, uh, I've had on several guests, you know, Justin dial, for instance, And, and, you know, in the, when we go into post-show and everything's kind of off recording and we just kind of like recap, decompress, talk about, Hey, I'd like to have you, you know, whatever, catch up, whatever, uh, you know, I've mentioned, yeah, you know, Pat used to call DB a lot 
and from three other guests I've gotten, well, he used to call me a lot too. And he would talk about this. And I'm like, I started to kind of, when you mentioned that I kind of put together, you know, this dude was doing like a knowledge dump in his last three, four years on earth, uh, with some select people. And, uh, you know, I've had the great privilege to interview a couple of those, you and, and, uh, the, the one standout is of course, Justin dial. But when I talked to him, it was a completely different subject matter that, you know, padded be on a cross country drive to go teach a class, teach some new young warfighter, and would knowledge dump something to each person kind of specifically. And it's funny right. in our conversations is putting that big loop together that he, you know, I don't know whether I suspect he probably knew his health was, uh, was failing, but, uh, around the time that I became aware of who he was and what he did and started looking for classes was about the time he passed away. And, uh, it's been a real cool thing for me to be able to sit in the podcast helm and interview different people that were in different subject matters, so to speak, like yourself right. with revolvers and some people with carbines and some people with, you know, 1911s, whatever it was. And, uh, find out that, you know, that was going on for a couple of years in a circle of people that was very minute. And, you know, it is why I deep dive this stuff as so hard as I do is, you know, I carry a revolver every day, uh, usually backing up a Langdon Beretta of some sort. Well, I blame you for me carrying a revolver every day. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Well, a lot of people do, and that's good. Um, but, you know, I have very much accepted this mantle of this sort of um, historian of that because it's what I can do to honor Pat. Um, Pat was an extremely influential person in my life. Um, I learned a ton about not just guns and tactics and stuff. I learned a lot about life. I learned about, you know, uh, just being a, an adult grown up male in the world from Pat, you know, um, I learned a lot of things from Pat and he was, uh, he was truly like, uh, Wayne and I joke around that we, we have lost close relatives that have not as affected us as hard as losing Pat was, he was that important. Um, you know, Pat was sort of like your favorite uncle passing away for me. And, uh, you know, it, not quite like losing a parent, but kind of pretty close. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really sort of how I felt about that. So, um, you know, it was important for me to, this is part of what I do and why I, I am so dedicated to making this revolver roundup work because it is, it is sort of our legacy, our dedication to Pat and a lot of what we learned of, of sort of these old ancient arts, you know? Um, and then the beauty of having, uh, one of Pat's dearest friends, Ken Campbell out there now running things at gun site. Um, a lot of people who knew Pat are sort of back in the fold out there. And it, it, it's a really, uh, it's been a very positive thing, um, with how all of this has worked out. Um, Freddie Blish was out there the first couple of days of this. Uh, Freddie and, and uh, Pat were very close. Freddie and I are are uh, not just friends. We have a brotherhood and a fellowship on a level that 
uh, I, I say the, the, you know, it sucks being in the cancer club, but you meet the most wonderful people there. Uh, yeah. Freddie and I did the losing wives to cancer together. Uh, he mentored me through a lot of that. We have been down a lot of difficult roads, but, but Freddie was also very, very close to bat. And Freddie is teaching all the time up at gunsight now. So having Freddie up there was amazing. Um, plus he knocked down a elk yesterday, I think. So that I was good. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, so he'll have, he'll have a freezer full of venison. So that's positive. Um, Freddie, you know, that was kind of fun. We got to, we got to zero Freddie's elk rifle together and, and he knocked down an elk. So it was a positive week, but uh, bringing all of that back together and, you know, kind of, kind of really fellowshipping together. Um, and I picked up that word from uh, Sheriff Jim Wilson, who was out there the week I was there too. So I got to spend some time with Jim, which was fabulous. Um, he's one of my heroes. Uh, you know, I, I, w- I would like to model myself as a gun writer again after Jim. He does so what, good at it. But, you know, that was one of the words he used is fellowship with people. And, and I really like it. And we did a lot of fellowship this weekend or last weekend together. Um, I think we did a great job of honoring Pat. I think we did a great job of really trying to keep the art and the history and killing, killing myths of the revolver alive and did some good work. We developed some new product stuff. Um, it's all been, uh, really good. And we brought some true subject matter experts in that people don't always see, you know, Mark Fricky on manipulations of these could talk to you for four days about how to load, reload and different aspects of the revolver you know dobbs is absolutely one of the best trigger pressers on the planet uh ella fritz was fabulous on the retention stuff the one-handed shooting everything he did bringing gosnell in and uh you know um uh caleb giddings and then of course you know my uh i'm teaching a lot now with uh, cecil birch and chuck haggard so having chuck there uh, was fabulous. Luckily, Cecil didn't come because he got the COVID. So he, Cecil was kind enough to not uh, not bring the plague in. Uh, so, but we'll see Cecil. I'm sure next year. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just a you know we had uh, eight wonderful instructors there uh, who I'm very happy with. Um, we're lucky Joe Watson was there from our organization, took a ton of pictures. We'll be getting out in social media and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, absolutely fantastic thing. And I think, uh, everybody there was happy to honor Pat the way we honored him out there. So, yeah, I want to throw out a, a, a shout out to Freddie Blish. Um, you know, riding, I never at 42 until I met one Wayne Dobbs and Daryl bulky, thought that I would be riding in a van with Freddie Blish, a guy that I have known of, uh, who, you know, now I've shaken hands with, and we're now virtual friends and have acted like a couple of schoolgirls on the face space. So, uh, he, he and I share a lot of common commonalities, but, uh, you know, uh, drinking a yingling and riding through gunsight in a van, buddy. With with Melanie Bulky run, running shotgun there, uh, that was that was an experience that uh, I'll say you know thanks Daryl. Uh, the other one is uh, running into Mark Fricky again, who I was like I know this guy, and then as soon as I met him, I was like shotgun match at the Nationals. There you go, it's Mark Fricky. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you guys are, you guys are a couple PPC dorks. That's for uh, sure. Oh, I know it. Uh, <laughs> but you know, of your, he is of your people. We, we are. <laughs> and, and the, the funniest part about running into Mark Fricky again was, yeah, I used to shoot. I used to shoot PPC 15 years ago with your dad. And I said, Mark, I got news for you. My dad hadn't shot a PPC match. It's about 87. That was me, bro. <laughs> So we, yeah. we immediately become friends, but, uh, fellowship's a good word. And, uh, I, I, for those that aren't friends of mine on social media, I wanted to read something real quick. And it was number my, my five takeaways. Number one, revolvers are capable. Uh, number two, we need to study history before we make conclusions about gear and things. And, uh, number three, I can run a wheel gun, but manipulations are perishable. <laughs> so had there had a hard, <laughs> yeah, there's that part of it. Uh, number four gun sites, a gym and Jeff Cooper was an American treasure. And thanks Ken Campbell for opening the sconce for a tour. And the, and the last one and, and Daryl, this one's a lot because of you and Wayne and your influence on me is old cops are a fraternity and we're a really badass one. Coast to coast, we're all alike. We've all been hosed over, ignored, walked on, passed over, hurt, burnout, beat up, and etc. Most of the people I've met teaching away from agencies have the same stories. And you'll never be a prophet of your own village, but accepting that makes life easier. And more, most importantly, it makes it easier to move on. And uh, that was my gun sight takeaway from this week. So... Can I add a little something to that last one? Cause I Please think it's do. important. Uh, a, a certain individual, we both know that I get excited every time he calls me cause he's a superhero said, you know, one of the things he looks at with, with some of us instructors is he goes, you know, it's not only that you guys can teach that you've been cops, that you've done all this stuff. He goes, you know, the, the important thing that you guys have is that you have, successfully survived the organizations that you have not only gone out, done the work and bucked the system and done all that, but you literally survived the process that is difficult to survive, especially if you're the gun dude, you know, or that you're one of these kind of people who want to always be that first guy in the door. You're really, um, went to work every day hunting bad guys, you know, that, that truly, um, you know, I kept that Hemingway quote, quote laminated in my, my shirt pocket, my entire career. You too. Um, I, I, yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, I went to my job interview. Why do you want to become a cop? I want to put predatory animals in cages. Apparently I was the only one who answered the question and didn't want to help people. No, I want to put animals in cages. Um, so it, it's, it's, one of the benefit that all the guys um, that that we kind of brought in, um, and Caleb's getting there, um, kind of on a different side of it, but for at least, and, and we brought Caleb in, so it just isn't a bunch of old cops. We wanted to have some level of diversity in there, and I think he earned his place there and did a great job. And we'll be back next year with more classes, but. The one thing all those old guys did is we, we all survived the system of being the gun dude in the system. And that's a hard one to do as, as anybody who's done it knows it is not an easy path to walk. 
and it's probably why most of us have such a disdain for those who are out there uh, not doing the work to walk that path. Uh, they took the shortcut to the end. Yeah. Oh, I took some classes from those guys and now I'm an expert. Okay, dude. Yeah, whatever. Um, and you know, people want to pay for that. That's their money and their time and their effort and who they want to follow. But, uh, surviving what we have survived, uh, took a lot of making a lot of mistakes, took a lot of blood, took a lot of injuries, took a lot of getting crapped on. Um, not just by the citizenry, the crooks, the system, but your own, the people who are supposed to have your back. And, you know, there's a lot to learn from these people. And um, we had some real treasures out there, uh, not only teaching, but a lot of the students. We had some solid, solid old coppers students. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Dave, um, you know, from Pistol Forum. Uh, Dave Nader's out there, you know, old, old school Alhambra copper. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are really good, solid students and students of the gun. And, and we're just out there kind of resharpening the blade a little bit. And, uh, there was a lot to learn, uh, from the other students and from the instructors. We had a, we truly had an, an amazing weekend and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad we, uh, like I said, it was hard for me to give this up, but I'm glad if we had to open this up for more people to have access to it, I'm, I'm sure glad we did it in conjunction with gun site. So let's finish it out with two final thoughts from, from DB one, uh, tell me your, uh, your best thought on Pat Rogers and two, uh, tell me your best, your best takeaway from revolver roundup. So as far as Pat goes, uh, Pat truly, uh, was the student student as the teacher, if that makes sense. Completely. Um, Pat had. It is a very, I've told people before, it's a very, very unique uh, thing. You have people who can shoot, you have people who can teach, and you have some very high-level operators out there who are, you know, absolute uh, masters of the art of violence. It is easy to find people who have maybe one or two of those abilities it is very rare to find people with all three, you know, to really have the whole package of sort of the mindset marksmanship and, and gun handling tactics side of that, that really mastered, um, the entire package, Pat mastered the package. He was a master at level instructor. He was an incredible student to become that level of instructor. Uh, he was an expert in high order violence, you know, and an amazing, uh, and, and, and he was a, a very, very capable technical shooter as well. And, and, and the ability to teach all that. So, you know, Pat truly was, the was a gift to us. He was the trifecta man. Yeah. And there's not a lot of them. They're out there, but there's not a lot of them. And sadly, most of them are, were teaching behind fences. Yeah, they're the, those guys are mostly teaching inside of organizations, and you don't see them out here in public. And Pat was very, very accessible to everyone. 
you know, who was, was interested in, in, in learning from somebody like him, you know, he was kind of one of those first ones to come out and sort of venture out into the world at that level. And it wasn't kind of behind the curtain. So, um, Oh, and you know, I, I, I forgot because he is speaking of behind the curtain, you know, and that was, I didn't mean to leave him out, but Dave Dolan, yeah, Dave's another one, you know, and, you know, to bring him into that organization, into that teaching thing, you know, you, you, normally you don't get access to Dave Dolan. You, a lot of people got access to Dave. Um, I've been blessed to have that for a lot of years, but, but a lot of people were like, where did you find him? Yeah. Behind the, behind the curtain. So it, it was, it was really an amazing uh, process with that. So, and takeaways from, uh, from revolver roundup was, you know, it's a brave new world for us. Uh, it, it's kind of restarting, you know, the first like kind of five. Well, I think we were running a couple of years before Pat passed away. So, you know, giving my baby away was sort of tough, but the adopted parents are wonderful and we're, we're kind of learning to, uh, we're, we're, it's a brave new world with it. Um, my goal for, I, I have some goals with it. Um, next year, I would like to see at least a hundred students. Um, I believe we had something like six mid sixties. I thought it was about yeah. 85. I no, thought- we had about mid six. I think with instructors, students and everything, I think we're at right around, uh, uh, low seventies by the time we factored in all the, you know, uh, kind of the emergency cancellations at the end. Um, I think we were about, about 73 for something like that. Um, so I would like uh, actually a hundred plus students next year. Uh, it allows me to bring in more instructors when I get more students and my down the road goal for this is 25% women is where I'd really like to, uh, branch this out and have a much uh, broader spectrum of that because I think there's a lot to it. So we will be working on on making that appeal, and I have a I have a secret strategy for making that happen. Um, so I, I think uh, kind of a, a larger, uh, more diverse event. Uh, starting next year is that that's the big goal is we're going to be shooting for at least a hundred. And, uh, I think with the press and the good reports and sounding like I didn't have a ton of people who, you know, in our business, people will come up to you and tell you this sucked and I didn't have any of those. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's one or two who, who it wasn't their cup of tea and that's always going to happen. But the vast majority of folks I talked to said they had an absolute amazing experience. And if we can get more people to enjoy that kind of experience, uh, I am, I'm happy as a clam about that. And like I said, we, our goals is to make the event better every year and more accessible and more successful every time around. So we're, we're really excited about next year because um, we learned enough to work a couple bugs out that I think it'll be spectacularly good next year. Episode 62. Got a little of a clump there talking about uh, the dearly departed Pat Rogers. Thanks again, DB. As always, DB, you know, frequent guest and uh, carrier of the torch. 
Uh, also, I wanted to give a shout out to Lou Gosnell. You're welcome for the laugh, pal. Uh, Wayne Dobbs, Freddie Blish, Greg Elifritz, Mark Fricky. Good to see you after about 15 years, Fricky. Uh, the worst ER doc in the country. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, all the new friends I made up there. Chuck Haggard. Dave Dolan. If I missed any of you guys, I'm sorry. Uh, Skyler from Gunsight, thanks again for running us through the shoot house. Appreciate that. A reminder, if you haven't already, check out our sponsors, Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. Elite Survival Systems products for your EDC needs. CCW Safe, get 10% off your membership with Off Duty 10. And EDC Belt Company, home of the Foundation Belt. I also want to, if you guys are still listening, give a quick shout out to uh, Ernest and Amy Langdon over at Langdon Tactical. Thanks. I, I dropped an old number 50 off uh, briefly, and uh, they're fabulous gunsmiths redialed that gun in for me, uh, did a complete work over on that gun in about 30 minutes while I happened to be in Tucson. So thanks again to Langdon Tactical for that. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. And thank you guys for sticking around. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.